millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 15 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. This is part one of a two-part case. The second instalment will be available next week. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. They Walk Among Us is part of the Acast Creator Network. It was puzzling to say the least. Following a tip-off, officers from the Nottinghamshire Constabulary were dispatched to an address on Blenheim Close. Located in Forest Town, a former mining village in Mansfield, Nottinghamshire, the brick-built, semi-detached, two-storey home sits on the corner of a quiet cul-de-sac, close to public walkways and green grassland. On that autumn day in 2013, officers slowly filtered through the back door into the garden. Neighbours watched from their bedroom windows bemused at what exactly was going on. The rain began to fall, so as the heavens opened a tent was erected, protecting the scene from the elements. Armed with shovels, the dig team broke ground near a fence, 
patiently and meticulously clearing the dirt. An excavator was then brought in to pry up some large slabs which had been laid, forming a small patio close to the back door. The spot was previously covered with pot plants by the current owner. The grass had always struggled to grow. Bizarrely, nothing would blossom. Once the earth was bare, officers again set to work with smaller trowels, painstakingly removing the rubble and soil inch by inch. It was then specialist investigators discovered something poking up through the mud. As more dirt was removed, they found two sets of badly decomposed human remains wrapped in mudded bedding. One body was placed on top of the other, their knees curled in the fetal position. The makeshift grave was 35 to 40 inches deep. Rubble had been piled on top of the bodies to conceal what lay beneath and possibly hide the smell. Assessing their size, it was believed the skeletal remains belonged to two adults, although extensive testing would need to be carried out to learn more. The police were confident they knew who the bodies belonged to, although how exactly they met their end was another mystery altogether. All weekend, forensic teams have been examining the garden. Last week, they dug up several mounds of earth. Today, officers have been using metal detectors to scan over large sections of the lawn. Today, detectives say the disappearance of an elderly couple who lived at number two, Blenheim Close, may hold the clue to the identity of those human remains. Um, the only time I seen them go out was having to walk to Mansfield. Obviously, they didn't have a car. They used to go with a little canvas shopping bag and bring the shopping bag. William and Patricia Witcherly moved into the home on Blenheim Close in 1987 and were last spotted by Forest Town residents in 1998. After this point, they were never seen again, but it was here where the mystery deepens because they were said to be sending Christmas cards and correspondence to their relatives up until the late 2000s. One undisclosed family member had even mentioned in their communications how the Witcherleys were experiencing a new zest for life. When offered a health check in October 2005, William Witcherley supposedly wrote back, I'm feeling better and I will be visiting with relatives over the next months. For that reason, it is not convenient to make an appointment. Just over a year later, William apparently declined a free pneumonia vaccine, writing to his local doctor's surgery explaining that he was again staying with relatives. He asked that he not be sent any more correspondence about the matter. One of William and Patricia's nieces, Hilary Rose, who lived in Staffordshire, was reported to have received written correspondence from the couple in 2009. Hilary had remembered because her mother passed away a few months before. 
another niece, Vivian Steenson, offered her thoughts to the press and mentioned that she had spoken with the couple's daughter, Susan. Vivian was told that the Witchleys were away travelling. Printed in the Times newspaper, Vivian reportedly said, I did receive cards signed by the family until 2007, but no one is quite certain if they were the ones sending them. I didn't think there was anything wrong. She always spoke of her father being alright and being in Ireland. It's a real mystery. The undisclosed information the police received related to an incident in 1998. However, the constabulary remained tight-lipped as to what exactly they were told and what spurred a visit to Blenheim Close. Comments about the investigation made by Detective Chief Superintendent Rob Griffin were widely published. Neither William nor Patricia were ever reported missing, and we can find no evidence of either of them being alive or dead. The discovery in their former garden last week may be the reason why. We have yet to formally identify the remains and so cannot say with 100% certainty who we have found, but it's not a great leap to imagine it might be the Witchleys. While DCS Griffin had his suspicions, he still asked the public to reach out if they knew more. When news of the discovery was first reported, call handlers for the local police were overwhelmed with information about the couple, but few residents of Forest Town actually ever spoke with the Witchleys. Others only caught the odd glimpse or two. Since 1998, the Witchleys' home grew more and more dilapidated, before the property's new owners moved in during the mid-2000s, and the Witchleys were all but forgotten. When they first disappeared from view, neighbours and friends just thought they had emigrated or moved to Morecambe or Blackpool. William Witchley occasionally spoke about wanting to move to the seaside. Absolutely no one thought anything untoward had occurred. There were only questions about where the elderly couple might have moved to. This was as far as the queries went. The Nottinghamshire Constabulary confirmed that the new homeowners were not considered suspects in the investigation. They were just unfortunate enough to purchase a property in which two bodies had been buried in the garden. Brett Wilson, a former neighbour to the Witchleys, was interviewed by a correspondent with the BBC. Describing William and Patricia, or Bill and Pat as they were also called, Wilson said, They weren't eccentrics, but they kept themselves to themselves and never went out a lot. They didn't have a car, and they didn't mix at all. You would never see them chatting to neighbours. After a while, you just used to see them behind the curtain, like a shadow. Wilson could often hear the Witchelys singing while one of them played the organ. Despite being a private couple, on occasion Wilson had to ask them to keep the noise down. 
when the bodies were discovered. Had they been alive, William Witcherly, a former Second World War Navy man, would have been over 100 years old, and his wife Patricia in her late 70s. It would not be until many months later that a fuller picture could be painted of their lives. The Witchleys have been described as private, even reclusive, and when they disappeared from their home here 15 years ago, many people assumed they'd simply moved away. Some relatives have said they continue to receive Christmas cards apparently written and sent by them as recently as two years ago. It's not clear who tipped off the police or why, but after learning... William Geoffrey Witcherly was born in Shirebrook, Derbyshire in 1912 and first found employment following in his father's footsteps working down the coal mines. Along with his brothers and parents, they all enjoyed listening to and performing music together. Funds were not as abundant, so they would entertain themselves. William's family moved to Canada when he was a teenager, although he only stayed there for a few months before he travelled back home. He found work in London doing a number of odd jobs, then spent time in the Royal Army Medical Corps before boarding several merchant ships in the Navy, travelling to the other side of the world. After several decades at sea, William eventually chose to remain on land indefinitely when he moved back to London in the mid-50s. It is reported he would later find work in a factory as an engineer, although publicly available accounts of his life are inconsistent. It was in London where William would meet the woman he would go on to marry. Less is known about William's wife. She was born Patricia Dorothy Moore. She was briefly raised in Paynton, Devon. Then her family relocated to Fulham, London when Patricia was young. It was later in life when she was working as a solicitor's secretary that Patricia met William Witcherly. They were married in the late 1950s. William, who was then in his mid-forties and his wife in her early twenties, welcomed a daughter only a few months after the ceremony. They stayed in the English capital for a time before they up sticks to Mansfield in 1987, following the death of William's father. And then, eleven years later, they disappeared. The police were hoping to find out more about the couple's lives from the moment they were last seen in 1998 to the point at which the bodies were found in their former garden. But frustratingly, there was not a paper trail of William and Patricia's movements after this point. Electoral records did not indicate they had moved elsewhere and their house was sold in August 2005. Any registration documents mentioning their name for the local council had always been completed by prepaid envelope. Prior to 1998, neighbours could remember the Witchelys wishing them a good morning, 
but that is as far as the interactions with others ever went. The couple did not have a car, so there were no journeys further afield. Seldom did they interact with anyone else, and the word reclusive was often mentioned when the residents of Blenheim Close were interviewed about what happened. Few who spoke with the media could ever recall going inside the Witcherley's home. The blinds were always drawn. But some residents did recall seeing the devoted couple on their daily afternoon walks, getting some exercise and collecting any shopping they might need. William Witcherley was described as frail, with a head of white collar-length hair atop his short frame. A local who spoke with a reporter for chad.co.uk described Patricia as taller than her husband, perhaps because William was unable to stand up straight due to poor posture and his advancing years. Shortly before they were last seen in the late 90s, the couple's daily walk stopped. William started making the journey on his own. Whether this information had any part to play in the investigation was yet to be understood. As a police helicopter flew overhead and a search team swept the woods nearby, two police officers guarded the front entrance to the property. The kitchen window looked directly out onto the grisly scene. A blue and white hexagonal forensic tent was erected in the garden over the spot where the two bodies had been buried. The garden was cleared of its contents, and half a dozen mounds of earth had been meticulously placed close to the fence. A number of blue bins were wheeled over the turf by forensic officers. A sheet of plastic covered a table, on which was placed the material gathered from the dig site. An officer kept guard, sitting in a fold-up chair. As forensic examinations continued at the back of the property, a home office pathologist examined the remains. They were so badly decomposed, confirming their identities would prove difficult. Neighbours had revealed their shock and horror when the police turned up and began digging on October 9th, 2013. One resident voiced their dismay to a Mail on Sunday reporter. We have been living here and having parties in the back garden and barbecues while all the time there were human remains buried just yards away. It's awful. Nothing much goes on around here. It's just a typical suburban street. During the initial days of the investigation, three crucial questions formed in the minds of the investigating officers. Who was living in the house between the late 90s when the couple disappeared and 2005 when the house was sold? How did the Witcherley's daughter not notice her parents were missing for all this time? And who had written the correspondence from William and Patricia Witcherley if it was not from them? 
Furthermore, before the Wycherley's property was sold on August 10th, 2005 for £66,000, no one could recall a for-sale sign ever being put up. This spurred a reporter for the Daily Mail to begin looking into the matter. He obtained the legal documents for the house sale. Surprisingly, both William and Patricia's signatures were on the paperwork. How was this possible? Where were they? By October 15th, it came as no surprise the Nottinghamshire police were treating the discovery in the garden as a double murder inquiry and East Midlands major crime units were involved. Initial post-mortems were undertaken, but the results were inconclusive. What the authorities did know after analysing the bones was that one body belonged to a male who was over 60 years old, between 5 feet 7 and 5 feet 9 inches tall. He was well built. The other body was female, She too was well built, older than 40 and between 5 feet 5 inches to 5 feet 7 inches tall. Due to the passage of time, a cause of death was difficult to ascertain. The senior investigating officer told reporters that police were remaining open-minded as to any potential suspects. We have spoken to lots of members of the family, yes, and they are helping us uh, and we're starting to put together now a clearer picture of the family tree uh, and indeed of the Witchelies and how they live their lives. The focus of the investigation is on the Witchelies themselves and, and the goings on at Two Blenheim Close back in the 1990s. No motive? There is no known motive at this time. DCS Griffin went on to say, Statements have been taken by those that currently own the address and live there, and I want to make it clear that they do not feature in this investigation in any way. My appeal today is this. I would like anybody who knew them back in the 1990s to come forward and to speak to us. And I would also be really keen for anybody that lived in the area between 1990 and 2005 to come forward. An anthropologist was brought in to analyse the remains in more detail and to establish the age, sex and ethnicity of the victims. Within a few days, it was discovered that remains for one of the victims appeared to exhibit a spinal condition. The body was female, and this realisation tallied with what the investigating team had ascertained from Patricia Wycherley's medical records. Officers wanted to learn more and were trying to locate William and Patricia's only child, but this was proving difficult. They had been given a telephone number and email address, although they had received no response. Could she be a victim too? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash acast. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Centair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand. And now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safe for families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to Centair.com and using promo code AMONGUS for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at Centair.com. Over the course of the next two weeks, the puzzling double murder inquiry unfolded before an arrest was finally made. Or to be precise, two arrests. A man and a woman aged 57 and 55 respectively taken into custody at the end of October. As per protocol, their identities were initially kept from publication, but it was not long until the truth was unearthed. As the suspects were being questioned by detectives, experts were still working to confirm if the bodies found in the garden on Blenheim Close were in fact the Witchelys. when reporter Paul Baraki, writing for the Daily Mail, investigated the circumstances of what happened. 
He discovered that someone connected to the Wycherleys had signed their name as a witness on the transfer deeds for the house sale in 2005. This person was reportedly experiencing financial difficulties. When Baraki's article was published, he was unable to reveal the individual's name for legal reasons. But it would later turn out to be a man called Christopher Edwards. He was the husband to Susan, William and Patricia's only daughter. By all accounts, Susan's father never liked her husband, and now people might understand why, although it was only with the fullness of time that their relationship would truly be understood. Christopher and Susan Edwards were arrested on October 30th at London St Pancras International train station some 21 days after the police began searching for the bodies of who they suspected to be William and Patricia Witcherly. Since the investigation started, police had been unable to track down Susan to ask her about her parents. This was why there was a lack of understanding as to what had happened between the late 90s and beyond. Proof-of-life inquiries had been fruitless. Then, after a further examination of the bodies, a Home Office pathologist identified a startling detail. Dr Stuart Hamilton confirmed that the skeletal remains indicated that they had both been shot twice with the same weapon. There was still a great deal of work to do to confirm the remains did belong to William and Patricia Witcherly. Dr. Hamilton would later establish that the female victim had a projectile lodged in her spine. The bullet would have passed through several major organs, and death would have occurred almost instantly. There was damage to one of the male victim's ribs, consistent with a bullet striking the bone after entering the body. It's now three weeks since police found the remains of the reclusive couple, buried in the back garden of their own home. Although formal identification has yet to be confirmed, the police are confident the bodies are those of an elderly couple, William and Patricia Witcherly, the former owners of the house. Standing side by side and flanked by court guards, 55-year-old Susan Edwards and her husband Christopher, aged 57, are charged jointly with murdering her parents, William and Patricia Witcherly. The pair were arrested on suspicion of murder at St Pancras International Railway Station in London on Wednesday. It's not known where the couple were headed, but St Pancras International is the main Eurostar terminal with trains to Paris and Brussels. Tonight, the When the Witcherly's daughter Susan and her husband Christopher appeared before Nottingham Magistrates Court, two murder charges were laid against the couple. They were both dressed in black sweaters. The accused said nothing other than to confirm their identities. Susan Edwards had worked as a librarian, although had not been in employment for decades. The last job Christopher held down was as an accounting clerk. The Witcherly's son-in-law looked around the courtroom through his spectacles. 
his hair had been cut short, a great deal of which he had lost to time. The murders were said to have occurred at some point in early May 1998. Further court appearances would follow, and a week after Valentine's Day 2014, a now smartly dressed Susan and Christopher Edwards entered pleas of not guilty to the murder charges. They were told by Recorder of Nottingham Judge Michael Stokes QC that they would continue to be held in custody until the trial, scheduled for the beginning of summer. The next step in the legal process raised a few eyebrows when both Susan Edwards and her husband admitted to burying Susan's parents in the garden and stealing money from their bank account. The pleas related specifically to a charge of obstructing the coroner in the execution of his duty and theft of a credit balance. This was said to have occurred over a period between May 4, 1998 and October 31, 2013. It was undoubtedly perplexing that the accused would admit to concealing the bodies of an elderly couple and stealing their fortune, but not admit to their murders. All eyes were on the trial to understand what exactly happened. By this point, formal identification of the remains had been completed through DNA analysis, and it was confirmed that the bodies belonged to William Jeffrey and Patricia Dorothy Witcherly. Sadly, only a few photographs of William were discovered. In one taken later in life, he seems happy, his cheeks raised with a smile. Even worse was the fact that no pictures were ever found of his wife, Patricia. In all of the news articles that followed the case, only an image of William would ever be published. As the trial loomed, the same day the jury was sworn in by Judge Mrs Justice Thurwall, Susan Edwards offered one other guilty plea, but not for murder, for manslaughter, specifically relating to the death of Patricia Witcherly, her mother. Edwards still insisted that she was innocent of murder, as did her husband. A jury of four men and eight women at Nottingham Crown Court were told by Prosecutor Peter Joyce QC that Susan Edwards had admitted to shooting her mother and burying the bodies of her parents in their former garden. The guilty plea of manslaughter was submitted on the basis of provocation. William Witcherly was 86 and his wife Patricia was almost 64 when their lives were taken. The accused Christopher Edwards was 41 and his wife was 39. 
Susan and her husband sat in the dock. An empty seat between husband and wife, who looked longingly at each other. Supported by junior counsel Stephen Coupland, Peter Joyce QC told the court that for 15 years the Witchley's daughter and their son-in-law had kept up the pretense that the elderly couple was still alive, stole the Witchley's savings which amounted to £173,000, and lied to everyone they spoke to and corresponded with about the killings. They installed light timers in the home, so it appeared someone was in, claimed the couple's benefits and pension payments, and sold their home in 2005 for £66,000, when Susan and Christopher Edwards were living in Dagenham, East London. Susan and her husband told William and Patricia Witchley's neighbours that her parents had moved away. She even wrote cards to relatives pretending to be the victims. The correspondence mentioned a stay in Ireland for the fresh air. They also wrote to physicians cancelling any health appointments that would come up for William Witchley, and friends and neighbours were told another story that the Witchleys had moved to Blackpool or Morecambe. The prosecutor told the court, A total of £40,000 or more was taken and has never been recovered. Over the next 15 years, in order to continue stealing money and to cover up what they had done, these two defendants lied to family members, neighbours, doctors, financial institutions and created and used many false documents. After Patricia Witchley's death, Susan had somehow managed to open a joint account with her mother and this was how she could transfer the money. Credit was taken out under the Witchley's name and their signatures were forged on the house sale documents in 2005. The money was used to placate the parties to which Susan and her husband owed money. Susan and Christopher Edwards had always been in the red throughout their relationship. They met through a dating agency and were married in 1983. Susan's father disapproved of Christopher, and this added to an already fraught relationship between father and daughter. Patricia and William moved away from London, and in the process they sold a house they co-owned with their daughter. Susan would later allege that she was forced to sign away her half of the property, and this too was a bone of contention between Susan and her parents. She had been given £10,000 by her grandfather, a person she loved dearly. She spent part of the money on a trip abroad, but was persuaded to invest the rest into the purchase of her parents' home in 1979. There is evidence this occurred as Susan Edwards' name was on the house deeds. Her parents then convinced Susan to rescind any claim to the property. The home was sold for £36,000, 
William and Patricia relocated to a cheaper property on Blenheim Close in Mansfield. Susan saw none of the profits from the house sale, and she felt a great deal of resentment. Susan believed that her inheritance was stolen, as William and Patricia, quote, emotionally blackmailed their daughter, telling her that her grandfather wanted Susan's mother to have the money instead. Like her mother, Susan Edwards only socialised with her husband. The pair barely spoke with anyone else. Susan stayed at home and although Christopher spent his days at work, he never went out with colleagues. His wife preferred he remain at home in the evenings. Residents of Forest Town told reporters how the pair looked like they were in need of financial assistance, in spite of Christopher always trying to appear well turned out for his job. To save money, they were always meticulous when shopping making a note of the price of every item on their grocery list so they never went over budget, and checking their receipt to make sure they were not overcharged even by a few pence. No one knew they had stolen a quarter of a million pounds, although it was likely neither did Christopher and Susan, as they just as quickly burned through what money they had. They were drowning in debt, Any money they had obtained from Susan's parents did not fund a life of frivolity and opulence. They had an obsession with buying rare celebrity memorabilia, and Christopher's obsession with stamps and expensive books about military history did not help. Following the killings, Susan and Christopher Edwards managed to keep the dark secret hidden for a decade and a half, until they were contacted by an individual from the Centurion team at the Department for Work and Pensions. As they were unaware that William Witcherly had been shot to death and buried in a makeshift grave, in 2012 he would be celebrating his 100th birthday. A representative from the Department of Work and Pensions wanted to interview him face to face. Realising that the game was up, they spooked Christopher and Susan so they fled to Lille in France during September 2012. Before they had left the country... Christopher had convinced his employer to lend him £10,000 for emergency repairs on his stepmother's home, and assuming they were helping an employee in need, the business agreed. But once the money was transferred, they never heard from Edwards again. Unluckily for Christopher and Susan Edwards, when they arrived in France, the couple could not access some of their finances so they were forced to live on what money they had. It did not last long. Over the next 12 months, Christopher could not find work, so he decided to reach out to his stepmother Elizabeth Edwards and asked for money. 
This would be his and his wife's undoing. As Christopher pleaded for some financial support, he revealed to his stepmother that both of Susan's parents were dead. He told his stepmother that Susan had killed her mother because Patricia had killed Susan's father. Unsure of what to do, the couple had buried the bodies in the back garden. Upon learning what had happened, Elizabeth Edwards was at a crossroads. She spoke with relatives and ultimately decided to notify the police on October 1st, 2013. A dig team was dispatched to Blenheim Close and uncovered the bodies. Although she would not give evidence at the trial, Christopher Edwards' stepmother offered a statement to the police. Elizabeth Edwards would reveal a shocking revelation. When I retrieved my messages from Christopher, he said he needed to speak to me urgently and that he would call me again. I hadn't heard from him for months and I was relieved that he was still alive, but I thought he needed money. When he called back, he spoke very quickly, but he seemed relaxed. He told me that Susan had woken up and heard her parents shouting and went into their room where her father was lying on the floor. Her mother told her that she knew her father had had sex with her when she was a teenager and that she had had sex with Christopher. Then she had picked up the revolver and shot her mother dead. Christopher and Susan Edwards eventually decided to return to the UK. They emailed Nottinghamshire Police and then surrendered to the UK Border Force in Lille. After travelling from the Eurostar Terminal, they were then subsequently arrested in England when they arrived at St Pancras International train station. The senior investigating officer had initially thought the email was a prank although to his surprise, the couple turned up. The investigation had received a large amount of electronic correspondence about the case, but this was one that could not be ignored. Addressed to DCS Griffin, it read, Later on today, we are going to surrender ourselves to the UK Border Force authorities at the Eurostar Terminal at Lille Europe Station. We would prefer to do this, since my wife is already sufficiently frightened. Please could you notify the UK border force at Lille Europe so that they might expect us. I would also ask that you call or SMS me to confirm that you will do this. If you cannot get through to me, my last top-up having expired a few days ago, please email me so that we may be certain that we are expected. Although the couple had emptied Susan's parents' account and taken credit in their name, at the time of Susan and Christopher's arrest, they were being pursued by creditors for £160,000.
in an interview room. Susan Edwards was asked what happened all those years ago. She explained that over the Maybank holiday weekend in 1998, she went to visit her parents. She was awoken the next day by a loud noise, and when she went into her parents' bedroom, she found her mother holding a gun. Patricia had supposedly shot William and thrown the gun on the bed. Susan picked up the weapon, a 38 caliber revolver. The mother and daughter began arguing as Susan claimed that her mother said she had found out what William had done. In this tense exchange, Susan was to allege that her mother killed her father because Patricia discovered that William had sexually abused his daughter when she was aged between 7 and 11. Susan said she had never told her mother this, and Patricia was upset. Susan eventually turned the same gun on her mother when Susan was told by Patricia that she had an intimate relationship with Susan's husband six years earlier. It was this element of the tragic series of events in which Susan Edwards was basing her argument of provocation. Susan Edwards wrapped the bodies in a duvet and went back to her home in Dagenham. According to Susan, she did not tell her husband straight away. When the husband and wife arrived at the property in Mansfield the following week, Susan admitted what she had done over a portion of takeaway fish and chips. They watched the Eurovision Song Contest together. Then Christopher helped bury the bodies, dragging them downstairs into the rear garden and placing them into a hole that he had dug before concealing the new earth with some shrubbery. In his first interview with detectives, Christopher Edwards was asked to describe the condition of the bodies. He could neither see any signs of decomposition, nor could he smell any pungent odours. The prosecutor would dispute Christopher and Susan's story that the bodies had been in the house a week before they were moved. Surely decomposition would have set in. Peter Joyce QC told jurors that the defendant's explanation had been concocted over the intervening years before the husband and wife were taken into custody. Joyce labelled it a carefully hatched and rehearsed story. The prosecutor said, in all likelihood the shots were fired by Christopher Edwards. He had experience of such weapons and his wife had previously expressed reluctance to even touch one. The weapon had clearly been taken to Mansfield in order to carry out the murder. It was a joint plan between the two of them. Christopher Edwards admitted that he helped his wife bury her dead parents, but he professed that he had nothing to do with the murders. He was not in Mansfield when it happened, 
at least according to the defendant. He only returned a week after the killings occurred. Edwards admitted that he removed the bodies from under a bed where they were hidden and assisted in concealing them in a makeshift grave. That was confirmed when a witness, James Hobson, a former neighbour to the Wycherleys, provided a statement that was read aloud to the court. Hobson said that he saw Christopher Edwards with a spade digging a large hole and filling it in early one morning in the late 90s. Hobson joked with his wife that Edwards was burying William and Patricia, utterly unaware that his attempt at dark humour was entirely accurate. Witness statements also described how Christopher Edwards was never seen fixing any damage to the exterior of the property on Blenheim Close, which had fallen into a state of disrepair, although he did frequently cut what little grass there was in the back garden when he occasionally returned there. As the couple walked out of the courtroom on that first day of the trial, Christopher Edwards was observed delicately caressing the small of his wife's back as they parted ways until the next day of legal proceedings. This is the end of episode 15. To hear more on the trial the outcome and the aftermath. Please tune in next week. Thank you for listening and a special thanks to our Patreon supporters. information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. 
it'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.